Hello everyone, welcome back to Beyond Therapy. Today we have another exciting exchange between myself and Dr. Aisha Alkimlos. And today we're gonna to be putting therapy speak on trial. So we're gonna be looking at multiple facets of social media, but we're gonna be focusing on the possible harm, possible benefits of therapy speak being so prevalent in social media contexts. So we're doing this courtroom style. Um, I am pretending, emphasis on pretending, to be on the side of promoting therapy speak. And uh, Dr. Alkamloss will be basically saying that that's ridiculous. So you will also be hearing a new voice on the podcast today, and that is Rihanna O'Neill, who is our marketing manager. And today we'll be serving double duty as she will also be the judge in our very important case. So let's take a listen. What you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in the court of public opinion. Both parties have agreed to have their court cases dismissed and have their dispute settled here in our forum, the People's Court. Honorable judge and jury. Um, there is no jury. Honorable judge. <laughs> I have laid out a, a, um, a three well, not steps, but three reasons as to why social media is harmful for people's mental health. Thera's therapy speak has taken us down the wrong path. The first, Exhibit A. John, I haven't wanted to hang out recently. What's going on? I've treasured our season of friendship, but we're moving in different directions in life. I don't have the capacity to invest in our friendship any longer. Is it something I did? This feels really sudden. I get that it might be hard to understand, but I've been reevaluating many areas of my life recently, including my ability to be a good friend to you. I just want to be honest and upfront so I don't disappoint your expectations. I'm sorry if this feels painful and confusing. I wish you all love and success. Exhibit A, judge. Exhibit A. So after I was accosted by that uh, TikTok video, I felt it pursuant to my well-being and the well-being of my community to argue that social media is harming mental health for the following reasons. One, everyone is completely forgetting about clinical significance when they're taking just these little sound bites. And by clinical significance, the meaning that everything is on a continuum, all behaviors, all reactions, all emotions are on a continuum, and things are only a problem when they are a problem. And so to just because you have a symptom of something does not make it, does not equate that it is a problem. So it's forgetting this whole clinical significance. That's the whole part of the DSM when we go into diagnose that we have to it's ca causing clinically significant impairment in some area of your life. And if it's not, then it's not a problem. So that's my reason one as to why it's bad. The other one is that second is that these are allowing people these sound bites of therapy speak and getting people more into therapy speak is allowing people to intellectualize and oversimplify their emotions, their experiences, their experiences with other people. So intellectualizing is a phenomenon that does happen even within the counseling setting where they'll 
they get to that kind of part of awareness where they're understanding why they're doing everything, but then it kind of swings a little too far. And then we as the clinicians have to bring them back into like, you also have to feel your emotions. So before they were like ruled by emotions and then now they're just ruled by processing and intellectualizing. Why did this happen instead of actually feeling their feelings and incorporating that? So this is allowing people to have the, some, new words to use, but they don't know how to use it. And on top of that, they then oversimplify, like break everything down to like, that's the one reason that's the one thing about that person. Um, and that's it. Um, which, you know, I've seen a lot of people do, I call it like prime factoring. Like you're just trying to break people down into this is what they are about, but that's not the only way to interact with a person. If someone just prime factored me down to like, I have a client, who like what my love language is, that is not the only way that I interact with people. That is not, anyways, anyway, okay. So they're oversimplifying and intellectualizing. Last but not least, therapy speak is making a mockery of the profession. It is allowing everyone to be their own expert a la WebMD. So they can just Google a symptom and then it will give them what they need and the treatments for it. And they will just think that they can do it themselves. When in reality, you must go to, to school for at least two years. You must then be supervised. You must then go through training and all of this sort of stuff. And people are not doing that. So in conclusion, people are not understanding how problems become problems that therapy speak is uh, intellectualizing and oversimplifying things for individuals, and it is making a mockery of the counseling and therapy profession. Here, here. Mm. Well, thank you for that enthusiastic <laughs> opening, Dr. Alcumlas. <clears throat> so if we're referencing this specific video where the therapy speak was used to help someone set a boundary, I think what we need to do here is consider the relevance of identity. How easy has it historically been for female-identified, female-socialized folks to set boundaries? Has it been allowed? Yes? No? No? Your eyes tell me no? Okay. Badgering. Okay. <laughs> You're not the witness. I don't know. <laughs> so I would say that in this particular example, um, any kind of tools that we have to equalize the playing field when it comes to having expectations, maintaining expectations in relationships is a good start. Now, do we ideally want people to break up with their friends and just kind of give no reason and end relationships because one thing goes wrong or whatever? No, that's not the end goal. Is it a good starting point to have some way, aside from what we have historically leaned upon, which is passive aggression, to manage a relationship? I think so. Um, additionally, though, I think having some of this therapeutic language um, and bringing some of these topics, whether it's relationship conflict, whether it's depression, whether it's the prevalence of trauma, all of these things normalize the experiences of people who are struggling with their mental health and therefore reduces stigma. We cannot reduce stigma without bringing these topics into the public forum and social media is the most public of all the public forums. Does that mean it won't be a little bit bumpy as we orient to how to most effectively use this format? Sure. And then lastly, uh, having therapy speak 
um, in social media spaces, it increases access and it is psychoeducational. So maybe someone did not realize that much of their experience is related to trauma responses. And they've seen this TikTok video that says, hey, did you know fill in the blank is a trauma response? To reconceptualize our experience, especially those things that we are likely to self-stigmatize, like, okay, well, I just, I must be crazy. I must just not be good at making friends, fill in the blank. To be able to reconceptualize those things as indicators that, no, actually, you may have a very treatable mental illness, um, that increases access. That allows people to step over that primary barrier of shame and engage with services. Um, And then it also educates them about what those services might be, you know, that these are aspects of experience that you can talk to someone about, that you can't take medication for, fill in the blank. The defense risks. Now, as is my right, (laughs) I will rebut said arguments from the defense. Number one. While boundaries, you discuss boundaries being a new territory and any tools are useful, they are also a a broad strokes sort of tool and they are not unique to the person or the situation. So very much could be used out of context, most likely being used out of context. You then say that it reduces stigma. I ask you... (laughs) It's not actually reducing stigma for actually seeking help, is it? It's just giving people words. Mm-hmm. And so instead of actually then allowing people to like seek the help they need and the medication, it's just giving them words, which I already said. And lastly, sure, it increases access in psychoeducational and in psychoeducational, but who is regulating this? What Joe Schmo is is putting this on online, you know, and even the fact that, you know, and even if it is coming from someone who is licensed and has the, it doesn't, having a degree also does not, or a license does not give you carte blanche to say these things. I rest my case. Are you done? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's circle back to your argument. Number one, that this is forgetting about the clinical significance that you have All of this talk of this is depression, that's trauma, how to know if you have anxiety in soundbite sort of format that um, this is somehow presumably over-diagnosing or leading people to over-diagnose themselves. And I would bring in what I feel is a very relevant Buddhist topic, which is the notion of skillful means. It is not the solution in and of itself, but it is a step in the right direction. So I would ask, would you rather have millions of people with disorders who don't feel they fall on your continuum? Or would you rather have a few false positives? That's what I'm saying there. Okay. Um, Next, you mentioned that these uh, soundbite sort of therapy speak posts and whatnot um, intellectualize and oversimplify. I would say that that is really not giving consumers enough credit, that it fragilizes consumers to assume that they aren't aware that a soundbite isn't the whole story, when hopefully something that is as complex as mental health and one's own personal lived experience, someone would not want to reduce that to, oh, you're right, I do struggle with the texture of ketchup, and therefore I must have PTSD. My guess is they will dig farther. And lastly... 
uh, you ask who is regulating this. In an ideal world, would I love for every social media platform to have multiple mental health professionals ciphering through every single post to ensure that it does not disserve, dismiss, or in any way trigger someone? Yes. But is that where we are? Absolutely not. Okay. So if everyone had access to professionals, whether that be in their own personal experience or um, through these platforms, then we wouldn't need to turn to social media. But in the absence of an equitable medical system, maybe this is just as good as it gets for now. I rest. Judge. By the power vested in me from watching a 30-second TikTok with a lawyer in it once, Dr. Alkin Loss is the winner because that video was stupid. Good choice. Oh, man. Boy, was that hard to try to be on that side. <laughs> and sound believable. <laughs> no. I wanted to be like, do you think everyone is going to, have you met people? Yes, I have. <laughs> so in the rest of the podcast, we are going to talk about um, the different pros and cons of using social media and mental health. Um, we'll also hopefully make some recommendations for how to help clients be critical consumers of social media related to mental health. Um, we'll explore um, our own like counselor role within social media and then um, we're also going to apply those fundamental principles of the ACA Code of Ethics to therapy speak slash the use of media. So those things of autonomy, non-maleficence or non-malfeasance, whatever, however one wants to say it, beneficence, justice, fidelity, and veracity. So, um, and also prepping for this, not only did we watch TikToks and, and social media, but we did find articles. <laughs> we did that. Um which one was pretty interesting bringing, um, looking at it, uh, the use of social media in, yeah, Malaysia, Malaysia, mm -hmm. <laughs> Malaysia. and for um, young, like secondary school, university students who were in the bottom 40% of Malaysia's socioeconomic status. So that one was pretty neat. Yeah. So if we hit some of the highlights of that one, um, there was a preference for seeking help from family and friends versus professionals. Uh, and there were a lot of reasons for that, including stigma, finances, transportation. I mean, many of the same issues that we see facing our own clients here. Um, that improving mental health literacy, um, which can lead to becoming aware, acknowledging a problem, signs, symptoms, and the need for help, uh, that that is beneficial. Mm -hmm. Is that a benefit of social media? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like it, allowing there to be the more, what is it? what is that? The more, you know, mm -hmm. kind of a thing. So, yeah. and I, I do agree with that. I mean, like, I think that that's um, helpful mm -hmm. um, giving people uh, just tools, you know, mm -hmm. some new, new tools in their toolkit to bring in to, you know, start to say some stuff instead of like, I feel sad, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another big finding um, was that in the past, mental health literacy is lower in folks who come from a lower socioeconomic status, um, folks who have less access to resources. So social media in that way um, provides some of those psychoeducational resources to increase mental health literacy. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I thought this was particular. Well, not lastly, actually. 
No, yes, lastly. Um, I thought this was particularly interesting that the more self-stigma a person has, um, that's associated with less help-seeking behavior. Um, so not just the, I guess that bears some fleshing out though, right? Because mm-hmm. like is self-stigma, I have this problem that makes me bad, weird, mm-hmm. whatever. Would that also include, I assume other people will think that way about me. Yeah, that's okay. typically, yeah. So like kind of it, it still might be like great for the the public, but like not like I'm still mm. holding within that like shame, that that judgment, all of that mm-hmm. sort of thing about um, uh, how I would view myself. So mm-hmm. while, you know, while I might be okay with you going to do it, like I'm still not ready to do it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Which I mean, makes sense, right? So the, the more you think you're going to be called a quote unquote weirdo, the less mm-hmm. you're going to go seek help. Right. And also, interestingly, the self-stigma was the strongest predictor for mental health, health-seeking attitudes among teenagers and young adults of low socioeconomic status. Um, so one question that showed up for me uh, in thinking like kind of pros and cons of social media uh, relative to this article is like, how do you balance the potential, that really harmful potential for mm-hmm. comparison um, with the potential for reducing self-stigma. So, I mean, I just used the example of someone with depression, right? So folks with depression tend to have a negative attributional bias. So if they're exposed both to supportive, normalizing content alongside examples of, you know, oh, I had depression, but I'm fine now because Mm -hmm. I started going for a run every morning or whatever, the Mm -hmm. ones that would kind of activate that judgment is the judgy one, the one that sticks for the person who's struggling. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that self-stigma, I think, is, um, I think that, like, falls back into that sort of argument of, like, we're just, it's not reducing the stigma of getting help. Mm-hmm. You know, it's reducing the stigma of, like, I have this mm-hmm. versus getting help. So right. I feel like if maybe we also saw more people, obviously not, like, in their therapy session, but, like, I mean, and we talk, like, I think the ones also that are kind of helpful is like my therapist told me that, you know, like, or like, I just walked out of my therapy appointment. Um, But, you know, maybe some of the stuff like that we try and do at Creaseman of like showing them the spaces and things like that. So it's not as scary, like they don't imagine it to Mm -hmm. be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But also in the other article that we will review, it talks about kind of like future research and looking, <clears throat> it was talking about like looking at the different breakdowns of like age, race, ethnicity, gender, and like all this other stuff to see who is using what and mm-hmm. how, because then that might also then like tailor ways of using social media that would then address stigma, you mm-hmm. know? So like if we know that this population who really does not engage in like <clears throat> help seeking behavior uses TikTok in this way, then maybe we can tailor our mm-hmm. use of TikTok that way, you know? Yeah. Possibly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the content that like I come across. Um and you know, I'll see the funny video of like the girl with the smudgy mascara just came from therapy trying to get it together before my meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I don't feel like I see Here's what we talked about in therapy that made me cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. it's like, what, 
the process isn't really out there. I don't Mm -hmm. think beyond, you know, providers putting out there their little tidbits Mm -hmm. of like, hey, struggling with negative self-talk? Well, try this. But Mm -hmm. the seeing that from the consumer end, I don't think we're actually seeing that as much. I'm also like not all over the TikTok. So I could be missing some things. Well, and I think like it's also the difference of, so I just, I've worked with a client for many years and I've been her first therapy therapist. Um, And then she had to relocate for a little bit and she tried something else and then she came back. But like being able to try something else made her also realize like my preferences. Mm -hmm. So I think even that is, people don't always know that like you actually have choices in the types of people you see, the types of um, therapy that you're going to get. So, and that might also help like, uh, yeah, demystify that process of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the second article was looking at social media and mental health um, Mm -hmm. benefits, risks, and opportunities for research and practice. So this was a pretty cool overview um, from 2020. Um, And I mean, the ultimate kind of, not super satisfying conclusion is that we're still trying to figure out if the benefits outweigh the pitfalls. Um, But it did highlight um, some pieces that I hadn't thought about. So the pros that they, and so this was like, um, they did a a lit review. So this is where it came from is that it, the pros of social media can help facilitate social interaction. So not just like um, allowing someone to talk to or um, finding things to engage with, but also allowing people to practice their social interactions in a different way. Um, So that was really cool. I hadn't even thought about it as like a way to practice. Mm -hmm. Um, Also talked about like an act, creating more access to peer support network, which 100% like that, that's what I use it for. Like, that's what I support, like having, finding like-minded in a helpful way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Helpful way network. Um, And then also it can promote engagement with people and a possible retention in services. Cause it's, I think going more into that, like ease of access um, snippets here and there um, versus, you know, traditional psychoanalytic (laughs) three hours every week. Um, So But then also like the cons, which we've kind of talked about is for sure those impact on symptoms. We know that social media can really harm um, and exacerbate someone's symptoms. Like one of my clients, he cannot like go down a Reddit thing about politics. He just cannot because it like he turned it turns into this whole thing for him. Um, You know, even doing like those social media cleanses that you have to do. I work with those those clinicians who work with like body image stuff, like it's one of the first things, like let's do a social media cleanse. Um, Then also the con is facing those hostile interactions. You know, we talk a lot about like internet trolls, but then what is that actually, how is that actually impacting people's mental health? Um, Not to mention like, like hostile interactions that might be coming at you specifically, like as a comment or whatever, but also like, witnessing, bearing witness to hostile interactions uh, towards people who are like you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, and then the last um, con is just kind of the consequences that it actually has for daily life, like kind of the detachment that it can possibly have. Like, are we spending too much time on it and that sort of stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It still just does not, it's not very clear <laughs> if one weighs outweighs the other. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, one of the things that stood out to me, kind of going back to that, the social interaction piece and like the access to the peer support network, um, they talked specifically about folks with severe mental illness in social media use, which I was -hmm. grateful for. Uh, And this was just part of their review from another article uh, where a sample was taken from folks who are already connected to community mental health. Um, And so I think one question that I had was, are folks who aren't connected to services, are they more likely to see social media as like a springboard to care or as like a replacement for care? That's a good point because I don't like severe mental illness. I don't like it's hard to know. Um, but for sure, those like less severe, I think that they view it as a replacement. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many people like of my friends and, you know, acquaintances will like talk to me and be like, did you know this about me? And I'm like, please just go see a therapist. That's not what this means. Yeah. Oh, and I don't want to talk to you about it. Cause, right. You know, I'm not your therapist. Yeah. yeah. But severe. <sighs> I'm like, I've. Typically, like, right, if I see someone who's not going to engage with, like, the traditional help-seeking stuff, they will, though, engage with their, like, primary care, like, physician. Mm. Um, And so maybe that helps, like, kind of with the medication aspect of Mm -hmm. it, but then, like, the skill building and all that other stuff. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Um, There was another kind of study that they referenced in in attachment to that um, where... Participants with schizophrenia described greater anonymity, so the ability to discover that other people have experienced similar health challenges and reducing fears through greater access to information as important motivations for using the Internet to seek mental health information. So I could see how folks who, I mean, particularly if you're having like positive symptoms of schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. right, like there's still this awareness that like, if I say this out loud to someone, Mm -hmm. that this is what's happening to me, that that's not going to go over well. So I really appreciated that they brought out the, the sort of protective quality of the anonymity mm-hmm. um, of interacting. Um, and also, yeah, just that um, the practice element of it, you know, like uh, they also mentioned that social media doesn't require immediate responses, you mm-hmm. know, like interacting mm-hmm. with someone face to face. So, um, you know, that might, overcome some of the deficits with social interaction um, due to psychotic symptoms where it's like, you know, you can't necessarily put together a response um, Mm -hmm. that quickly. And then I was also thinking that could just as easily apply to folks on the spectrum. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 You also, you mentioned the um, social media cleanse. Um, So if we're thinking about like what kind of safeguards we might put into place, I mean, when I think about that question initially, I just mm-hmm. just kind of get completely overwhelmed right off yeah. the gate, you yeah. know, because it's like there's so many stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a different goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about like what counselors can mm-hmm. do, um, I in thinking about kind of my own work with folks, I realized that just as you mentioned, um, I only assess social media use in like two instances. So one is if someone's working on body image Mm -hmm. and the other is if they're reporting uh, like trauma responses uh, in, in being triggered by like Mm -hmm, the news mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. um, so I'll say, okay, well, how much are you engaging Mm -hmm. with this on social media? What have you, but like kind of a duh slash aha moment was like, why wouldn't I just be assessing social media use across the board? Yeah. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I don't either. And then maybe even if there's not like a specific directive, like, you know, stop following all of these sort of like thin, 
fitspo people start mm-hmm. following some fat folks who, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, um, is just like, what if you just reduced your use overall mm-hmm. and see what happens mm-hmm. to your symptoms? Yeah. yeah. Cause I don't, <clears throat> I know I've been in places where like, as part of their intake assessment, they do ask that, mm-hmm. like how much do you use and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The way that I definitely use it and kind of, so really if they are like when they bring it up, like, like, especially if they're going kind of more into a, <clears throat> um, they'll talk about it, like what's triggering their anxiety, um, especially like new moms, postpartum moms, like what's triggering oh, sure. their anxiety, well, yeah. um, and, um, depression of like, well, I was just scrolling on the internet or YouTube. I get that a lot. Like they'll be like, I watch YouTube for like three hours. I'm like, well, let's, we could do something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then the way that I also use it is kind of the way that, um, not just like the cleanse part, but in the way that we were taught, like as LCAS, like to find someone to be your sponsor is mm. you want to find someone who they look happy. It looks like a life that you want. Mm. Like don't, why, regardless if this person's been sober for 25 years and they're like having a horrible time at it, like don't ask them, go find someone who their life is, you know, kind of that goal that you want to get. They look happy in the ways and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of how I use social media with my clients is I try and say like, tailor it to what you want. Like mm-hmm. don't allow it to like um, algorithm. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you can like flood your thing with like the, the types of, um, uh, accounts that are, you know, talking about, um, health at every size that are talking about positive parenting. I don't know why all of this is about, oh, like also like non, uh, alcohol based stuff and me, blah, 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 like that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, because then it'll change. And then like, there will be enough, you'll get enough kind of like reminders and armor from it to like, when you see the other stuff, it might like, it'll stand out. more. Yeah. yeah. Or you'll kind of be like, oh, okay, that's not what I'm only getting. Yeah. I'm like, block the stuff that you don't want to see, but also like curate the stuff you do want to see. Yeah. And I feel like um, even encouraging clients to sort of practice being more aware, Mm -hmm. which is sort of like the antithesis of what social media encourages, which is just sort of like Mm -hmm. being numbed out and Mm -hmm. just kind of going with whatever shows up, but is... I'm thinking something that I might do moving forward is for one, just assess, okay, how much are you on social media per day and which platforms, Mm -hmm. but then also maybe even just have them do like a pie chart of like, if you're actually tuning in Mm -hmm. to yourself as Mm -hmm. you're engaging with this, you know, fill out this pie chart, pie chart for like how many of the, how much of the content you engage with leaves you with a pleasant feeling, how much is unpleasant and how much is neutral. Yeah. Um, Because I think we, we're just not aware of how, Mm -hmm how much of a negative impact a lot of the stuff we're seeing Mm -hmm. um, can really have. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, another thought was um, that I think aside from just considering social media from the standpoint of to market or not to market, you know, I feel like that's at least kind of in, in my current role, I feel like that's really how I engage with social media as like Mm -hmm. a marketing tool. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we can also just explain, explore more, like be more aware of what profiles are out there, um, you know, which content is based on sort of relative accuracy, potential for harm. I mean, I think just as we're like needing to be aware of what's happening among groups that we are not members of, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm, know, to be mm -hmm. responsive, I think we need to, within reason, have some idea of Mm -hmm. like, oh, actually, I know about that account and I don't recommend it because here's why. Yeah. 
the, at least I'm on like kind of the, and I do this when I do like bibliotherapy as well, is like, take from it what you need. Do not, do not pay attention to what does not resonate with you. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need that. And this is a, this is a, you know, this is meant for the general public, not you. So take what resonates with you. And then if you start to get more of like, well, this doesn't make any more sense, like we're done with it. Um, which I've definitely shared more um, like accounts with clients versus clients telling me like, oh, I follow this account or I, mm-hmm. which that would also be kind of an interesting like flip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what else do we have in terms of some major takeaways? Well, so yeah, we talked about how to help them be more critical. And I think not just in our um, assessment of it, but also maybe in our assessment of it, also co- talking about like, how did, how did you know that you wanted to follow that account? Mm-hmm. You know, um, what was it about that that spoke to you? And then
Do we want to say any um, snarky things about the breaking up with your, th- your friend through oh therapy my speak? God. We will talk about And then I do want to like make sure we touch all of the, the code of ethics stuff. But yes, okay. oh my God, that I wanted to vomit. <laughs> that felt to me like how to break up with a friend if you are borderline. Yeah. If you, not your friend, yeah. if you, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like vague, mm-hmm. hot and cold, mm-hmm. go, you know, like all or nothing. <laughs> well, and like, so what they talk about is, and so like, I've seen this a lot as well, like your boundaries, your boundaries, your boundaries. It doesn't ever, no one ever talks about the fact that like, okay, you have your boundaries, but the person that you're implementing them with also has the right to process them yeah. in a way, right? you know? So like, Yes, you hang on to your boundaries, but like you allow them their thing. This isn't all about you. And mm-hmm. that feels very selfish, um, condescending as fuck. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, for folks who, especially when I'm, I'm kind of going back to our, our last episode, um, like family estrangement, when folks are thinking about, you know, wanting to set a boundary with someone knowing that the person that they're going to set the boundary with does not have the skills to receive the mm-hmm. boundary, you know? And so they're like, here's all this stuff I want to tell them. And like, here's the three grains of sand that they can probably handle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like finding that balance between saying what you want to say while also not opening yourself up to more harm. Mm-hmm. Um, is that like self-respect is a, a thing too, to, to mm-hmm. preserve. Right. Mm-hmm. So um you know, you don't just have to take whatever mm-hmm. someone is giving you. Mm-hmm. I had another point in there, but that, and that wasn't it. I don't know what it was then. I don't know. All I also, damn it, you started it. I had another thought and then you changed your mind. Um, it'll come back to me. You're talking about that. Oh, one of the things that I also talk to my, my clients about is like, what's your goal for doing that? Yes. What, why are you doing that? And then what I also though have to talk to my clients about is like, you've got to reconcile your boundaries with also your values as a person. Yes, ding So, ding. and like but my sister and brother-in-law lived next door to a really elderly lady who like, she was like a third grandmother to us and all that sort of stuff. Um, but she was, even her helper was like calling them a whole lot. And in a way that like, um, my sister was like, I can't do it anymore. It like hurts me to go. Um, and I was like, then you don't have to, because you're like, if you want to make that boundary, you can. She's like, but I feel bad about it. And I was like, but that's what you have to reconcile. Right. When, and then my brother-in-law was like, ultimately his value of like, I need to help outweighed. Like, I don't want to be called three times on a Saturday. Right. My sister's was the other way, Mm -hmm. you know, but so like, you have boundaries and then you also have values. Yeah, exactly. And like merge those. Right. That's what it was. It was this notion of like, cause I, I come at it similarly with that question mm-hmm. of like, what are your goals or like, what are your priorities? And I really like using the DBT framework around like, is self-respect your priority? Is the relationship your priority? Mm-hmm. Um, or is there some objective, you mm-hmm. know, some sort of concrete thing that you want? And this whole therapy speak, this season of friendship bullshit, it's like, um, I don't know what objective it would meet necessarily mm-hmm. or which priority, but it's certainly, I feel like for me, if I were saying all that, mm-hmm. I would 100% be compromising my self-respect, mm-hmm. you know, because I would be sure I would be saying some flowery things, but I'm giving no content. Yeah. And then I'm also assuming that 
in not fielding the other person's feelings that I'm just too fragile to handle it. Yeah. And that, so I think that's another piece when we're thinking about like confrontation and boundary setting is that like, yeah, you can sell yourself out by being a doormat, but you can also sell yourself out by like not having room or creating room depending on the nature of the relationship and the harm level mm-hmm. um, for the reaction that you get. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So the other thing, like I saw, I think a couple days ago and I just got like livid um, was someone who was like, and I think they were not a, a trained person at all, but we're just like, when you realize that everything is actually a trauma response about your personality. And I was like, no, the fuck it's not like it just, <laughs> And like, but that's what I think people think, you Mm -hmm. know, that like everything, when I was talking about the oversimplifying, like, please stop dumbing people down Mm -hmm. to this one thing that could have happened. And also like trauma is also in the eye of the eye of the beholder. Yes. So just because you were in a bad car accident doesn't mean that it automatically You have to be traumatized. I literally had that conversation mm -hmm. with a client who, um, not from a Western culture. Mm-hmm. And so experience some things that certainly by Western standards would mm-hmm. be considered, okay, well that was definitely child sexual mm-hmm. abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's basically his experience of it was like, I mean, it was like kind of a thing that happened like in a lot of families mm-hmm. and more to the point, it, he wasn't having traumatic responses yeah, yeah, to it. Right. Yeah. Like his body was not telling him yeah. that there was something mm-hmm. stuck basically, yeah. but his, you know, conditioning, his social mm-hmm. conditioning in a Western culture was saying, oh, that's, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. You're just, you're just in denial. Yeah. I was like, well, I mean, maybe, but maybe not. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how many times that that is my response to someone yeah. is maybe, I don't know, maybe not. I don't yeah. know. And I'm like, but no, no, really, I don't know. Right. And you know yourself better. And maybe the question there is like, what, how would it serve you for this to be characterize or conceptualize as trauma versus however you have been conceptualizing it. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's, it would reduce shame if it's um, then I could actually start to process some of the physical aspects of my experience, you Mm -hmm. know, that like I, when I tighten up or I freeze or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, don't, don't just call it trauma because everyone else is calling it trauma. Yeah. Or ADHD or autism or, Oh my God. Like, and I, I said this to you the other day, like I did an OCD assessment with a different client and like I went through and I was like, oh, I have these things, but like also put it back into context, put it back into the clinical significance. Just because I have some symptoms does not mean I have the thing. Yeah. Or also, so what if you have the thing, if you have been managing and coping with it, so it is not detrimentally impacting your life, Yeah. then move on. Mm-hmm. Like I think everybody even when it's not negatively impacting them, they want to like unload it. And it's like, but it's no, I mean like you can, but like you don't have to also, you can just like live, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just such a, a push pull, I think with labels like Mm -hmm. that. I mean, certainly there's the benefit of, I mean, autism, I feel like is a really great example because that one I feel like is where it, it really is difficult to say, okay, is this just everybody watching, folks say this or that is autism on TikTok mm-hmm. or is this like, actually, we're just getting really much better at diagnosing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, that's always where I'm mm-hmm. like kind of stuck is mm-hmm. 
similarly with trauma, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. the last five, 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, the adverse childhood events yeah. scale comes out and it's like, well, damn, actually pretty much everybody has at least one. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, again, that's where the clinical significance is just really important. Like then you don't have to say, oh, well, you know, it's, it is or isn't trauma. It's that, yeah, I actually, I can identify with some of these Mm -hmm. and I'm fortunate to still be, you know, functioning in my life in a way that Mm -hmm. is manageable. So I think that could be kind of a beneficial spin. It's Mm -hmm. like, if it allows you to feel compassionate and to feel less disconnected from people who are struggling, Mm -hmm. great. Yeah. That does not mean you need to put yourself in some sort of damaged box and, you know, call it a day. I can't do that. This is, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm triggered by that. The trees please. Yeah. Like, yeah. Unless like, yeah, no, actually um, I'm really triggered right now. Are. <laughs> like, yeah. Unless you are like, cause I think it then, so this, um, is why like the other part that I came in today heated about watching, um, Queen Charlotte, um, the Bridgerton story is the treatment that he was receiving. Mm-hmm. Was, yes. Yes. Who else? Um, the treatment he was receiving. Yeah, sure. It happened back then. It happened so, so recently, so recently, so recently, yes. mm-hmm. um, the treatment that like individuals with mental health issues had to receive, um, they were just like abused and brutalized and demeaned and all of that sort of stuff. And for then some people to take it and be a little more flippant is what like, I like that mm. gets me heated. Like this is a, this was, is a targeted population, you know, um, And then, like, if you are being more flippant about having trauma or ADHD or um, depression or anxiety, and you forget that, like, there's this whole swath of people who really were really impacted very, very recently, Mm -hmm. like, forced away from their families, stripped of all their rights, all of this sort of stuff. Um, um, And if you want to put individuals with, like, disabilities in there like oh gosh yeah that's even more you know and so that also is like kind of when people like have it if you have it don't pretend that you have it to fit in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not yeah anyways Mm. um well moving on um okay I just want to check in with our code of ethics because we kind of talked about all of these things as like that pros and cons of push and pull Mm -hmm. um but I thought also it's pretty interesting that we've not yet. And I wonder if the next iteration of the code of ethics will talk about it. But like right now it talks about how to use technology in terms of like telehealth and dual relationships, but not how to use it for like promoting services or prescribing services or anything. So I thought that was, um, I'm interested to see where that might go. But so we talked about autonomy, fostering the right to control the direction of one's own life. So, you know, Social media is giving them some tools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we also need to help them like <laughs> uh, filter. Yes. Mm-hmm. You say the word. Non-malfeasance. There we go. Avoiding actions that cause harm. We you know, discussed that and the importance of like the cleanse or assessing what kind of things. Um, beneficence or uh, working for the good of the person and society by promoting mental health and well-being. I mean, I think that also really goes into social media. And I think what we've definitely been trying to do at Creaseman, is there also possible ways that we could do it that reduces the negative sides parts of therapy speak? Right. So maybe there's like 
presenting the positive sort of research back, you know, experience back information. But then there's also maybe this responsibility that we have to counter, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, you may have seen this or that video or this Mm -hmm. or that viral, whatever Mm -hmm. that's happening. Um, Here's what's problematic Mm -hmm. about it Um, is, you know, having there be some space where folks are held accountable, Mm -hmm. you know, for that information. So interesting. Do you know how many people talk to me about their love languages and have no idea where it came from? Seriously? Mm-hmm. Where are they getting that? Is it all on social media right now? Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but everybody really talks about what their love languages are. I get a lot of love language in Enneagram. Yeah. And like they don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like Do I know where it came from? I have the book. Oh, it's a book. Okay. Yeah. I do know about the book. That's fine. I know. Gary I know Chapman. things. He was also a pastoral counselor uh, as well. Oh, that's um, right. I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Had to do that for my pre-marriage counseling, which I, oh, yeah. Yowza. Not into it. And I was like, sir, I've known this man for seven years. <laughs> um, anyways, but, but yeah. So like that sort of, of like, you should also maybe research what you're talking about. Just a bit, bit. Mm -hmm. which is funny. That makes me think of like the stages of grief, Mm -hmm. you know, which is like, I mean, I think even among professionals that's been co-opted is like how to manage the loss of someone versus like what it was created for, which Mm -hmm. is the process of dying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Justice, treating individuals equitably and fostering fairness and equality. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess access, you know, there's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. (laughs) Um, but that does mm-hmm. bring to mind, though, especially because I don't have the best understanding of how these algorithms work. But um, just thinking about, like, who is seeing what, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. how how are these sort of AI, particularly generated algorithms, what sort of biases are built yeah. in yeah. that um, are filtering information yeah. know, in problematic ways yeah. based on identity. Yeah, which I'm sure that it does. But then also, like... You talked about like you don't know how much these algorithms, you know, that much about. I don't want to also know about algorithms. I want to know it all. I want to know everything about it. I don't want to keep and beat the system. (laughs) You know, but also I don't necessarily know that I want to beat the system so much as just surrender myself to it completely. (laughs) I recently bought these layups that have built in USB ports. Oh, yeah. And I found myself Googling, can data be taken from USB ports in lamps? And I was like, where's my tinfoil hat? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. that's next. <laughs> like, you went, yeah. I was just like, you, you know, jumped. <laughs> actually, I don't care. Yeah. They, they can have it. What don't they have about me at this point? I just, that's my argument the whole time when people are like, they're stealing your data. And I was like, then how do so many people go missing? Hmm? How do so many people go missing if they know so much about me and where I am I guess all it's, the time? It matters who the they is. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I don't think that I'm doing anything if they want to see how many times I Googled, how do I cook a pot roast? Right. Fine. Yes. Fine. Yeah. Because I yeah. can't remember. Do you put the corn in when it's boiling yeah. or before and then it's allow fine. the water it's to fine. come to a boil? Mm-hmm. Just if you need it to find me, please use it. Yeah, I'll track I, myself. These are things that I consult the Oracle for. Yeah. yeah. Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take, I'm gonna, what is it, the red pill? I'll stay. Is it the it's red fine. pill? It's fine. I don't remember. Is that the one with the steak? I think. I don't know. The guy? Which steak. one? Yeah. I don't know. It was blue or red, I think. I forget. All right. Fidelity or honoring commitments and keeping promises, including fulfilling one's responsibility of trust in professional relationships. Um. 
I think that idea of trust in the professional relationship, kind of building that. Um, and also not um, profiting off of it, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the white coat effect, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. how they'll put someone in a white coat and sell toothpaste. Yeah. Yeah. Among other things, not just really right. toothpaste. That does happen a lot more for toothpaste than I think anything else. Yeah. I didn't know it was so cutthroat, the toothpaste industry. Mm. Anyways, last one, veracity or dealing with truth, dealing truthfully with individuals with whom counselors come into professional contact. I think that also dealing truthfully with people like kind of in the way that we use social media professionally as well. Yeah, I think I'm coming back to the fidelity, honoring commitments and keeping Mm -hmm. promises because I feel like what um, I feel like what the current code of ethics, I mean, it does mention, you know, like. I guess more privacy, you know, it's like, don't be Googling your people, Mm -hmm. you know, don't friend them on Facebook. Um, And so I think I'm hopeful that there will be kind of more of an expansion of what it means to maintain fidelity in a social media context rather than just like within individual relationships. Yeah. You know, but it's like, no, this is an entity. How Mm -hmm. do we interact with this entity? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think ultimately we just, it's still just an ethical minefield. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a hot mess out there. Yeah. I would go hot mess, not minefield. Not minefield. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you. Well, I think that might be a wrap. How are you feeling about the judge's decision? Great. I am on cloud nine. You know, I knew I liked her as soon as I saw her. And I really just, I would like to take this moment to thank, um, thank all the people in my corner. Thank, uh, thank my dogs. Uh, thank my babies. Uh, I really want to, uh, you know, thank the Academy as well. Um, this has been a long road. It's been about a week. It's been really hard. Thank you. Here's one for us, for the little guy. How do you feel about being the loser? Hmm. I mean, that's harsh, isn't it? Does anybody win today? Did anybody win today? (laughs) No. Um, I will say that I think Dr. Alcamas' arguments are specious and, um, her hair is weird. Mic drop. I wrote that before. I was like, oh my God, what if she feels like her hair is weird? And then she's like, <gasps> too personal. I'm trying to go back to curly, okay? <laughs> All right. That happened. Beyond Therapy is brought to you by Creaseman Counseling, mental wellness for all. Visit www.creaseman-counseling.com for more information. Thanks for listening.